And this is exactly what we found ourselves doing in that three bed mm. semi, which was literally going nowhere because there was no mm. real destination. Mm. And what I found over the years is if you actually talk to people, their destination is an annual holiday. That's mm. it. That's the mm. goal. It, it, and it's not even a destination. Mm. It's, it's a cope. Mm. That two mm. weeks yes. in Marbella mm. is, is the reason they're at work. Mm. And they know everything's wrong. They know mm. that this 40 hours a week, like from the day you leave school until the day you die, right, mm. is not how we were supposed to live. That's, mm. that's mind-numbingly dull. It's, mm. There's no achievement there. There's no, mm. uh, there's no life there. Mm. And to deal with that, they have to have something. And the only thing they've got is, is two weeks in Spain. Mm. And mm. that's sad. That's sad. And mm. I didn't want that. I, I didn't want that. I knew there was more. I knew we could live a better life. Mm. And, and this is it. This is mm. reality. I'm mm. in nature. We're much more in tune with the seasons. Mm. So today we're speaking with Woodlander. He's a YouTuber and expert in off-grid living. We explore his story of building his own homestead out in the English woods and how using ancient law makes this a very affordable and realistic financial possibility and solution for those looking to escape the bugman lifestyle. So this is a realistic thing. We're not just talking about the problems here. We're, we're exploring how he did it, why he did it, where his head was at uh, to help other people perhaps see a possibility for themselves in it. Hope you enjoy it. Before I ever purchased land or thought about buying land and building a home, I came off grid myself. So I shut down all my bank accounts. Mm. I got rid of all my credit cards, store cards. This is nearly 20 years ago. Uh, because I refused to use a system that I knew was corrupt and that it was viable at that time to simply use cash. Mm. Um, so I, I wasn't registered anywhere. I became grey, I think is the phrase. Mm. I wasn't listed. I wasn't on the electoral roll. I didn't have a bank account. Um, I became self-employed because mm. I refused to work for corporations that were mm. supporting the system and was well aware that being self-employed was the only way I could control mm. when I worked and how much I earned. Mm. So I didn't want to be beholden to anybody else. The land and the living off-grid thing came about through a discussion with my wife and we sat down one evening and we were talking about what it was we actually wanted. Because mm. people rarely do that. And I decided that it was a, a discussion that we both needed to have because we were drifting which so mm. many people find themselves doing, Drifting, which is yes. literally just getting up every morning, doing the yes. same thing, doing the same job, without any real destination yes. to aim for. So yes. we sat down and we listed everything we wanted. And when I looked at this combined list at the end, it was um, a nice family home with enough room for the children if they 
came with us or wanted to come and visit if they mm. had their own places. Mm. Enough room to raise animals, a livestock, and mm. enough room to have lots of pets. I must say the animals mainly came from my wife, especially the pets. Mm. Um, we didn't want a mortgage and we didn't want to pay rent. Mm. So we wanted a large home with land. Yeah. So, and I, I, I kind of thought, well, I'm either going to have to win the lottery mm. because I did look at property. So I was looking at four bedroom property in, in, in a couple of acres and there was nothing under a million at all. Mm. Uh, realistically with, with like a small holding or, you know, with two acres of land and um, detached four bedroom houses. And I didn't have a million. I'll be mm. honest with you. At the time, it I had does. about I had about three hundred pounds for my yeah, yeah. so I had no money to, mm. to shout about. So I thought, okay, what I did have was the ability to earn money. Yeah, and I had to think outside the box. Mm. So I did some research, and I thought, okay, what about if I buy some land and build some? I'm not a builder. I've never done construction, but that didn't kind of stop me thinking mm. that way. And it became apparent that it's not as easy as as I first thought. You can't just buy land and, and build yourself a house. It's uh, prohibited. And the more I looked, the more sort of frustrated I got because there were so many rules, so many mm. regulations. And I found a really small newspaper article after about three weeks of going crawling through the internet that spoke about a family, I think it was in Dorset, who had been granted a certificate of lawfulness on their mm. home that they had built in some woodland. And I thought, I wonder what that's about. Mm. So I researched it and found that they had used something called the four-year rule. So I researched the four-year rule, which was an amazing um, an amazing thing to find because it's a it's a very old English rule mm. which states that if you build a home and live in it for four years and nobody has asked you to stop or cease and by anybody, what they really mean is authority. If no authorities have asked you to not do that, after four years, it becomes legal. Mm. Not legal. It becomes permanent. They cannot mm. enforce on it after that mm. date. And that really piqued my interest. So I researched it further and I found that there were hiccups that had happened with people that had tried this. There had been amendments added to that rule, one of them being that you couldn't deliberately hide what you were doing. You couldn't build a mock Tudor mansion behind hay bales, live in it for four years, then take the hay bales down because you'd hidden it. And therefore that was considered um, not, not playing cricket. It's yeah, not yeah. very English. Um, so that was an amendment. You couldn't deliberately hide it. 
And the other one was that you couldn't apply for planning permission for something like a barn, which you would get, and then convert that barn into mm. a living accommodation. Because again, that's hiding what you're actually doing. But there's nothing stopping you building it mm. somewhere it can't be seen. Mm. And that's mm. completely different. Mm. And, and that that got me thinking, well, if I could find the right location, then this is a possibility. Right. So what, what, with where was your head at when you, as these plans are going on, where are you living? Are you living in a modernist hello where are you what what's the feature a three bedroom semi yeah um, i have my own business yeah uh, my my wife worked as well and we just wanted something better yeah. you know what i mean we were we were kind of just working and paying the, the mortgage and paying bills so like a cog in the machine that's the is that the general feeling that it drove you to 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 do it and uh, and and so yeah. and you're not living you're not living around nature at all, right? You're sort of in. We were we were we, we were living in the similar Somewhere. area to where we are now, uh, right, in the okay. southwest. Um, right. So there was a lot, and we had pets so, and dogs, so we were out walking them quite regularly. Um, so you kind of seen then by on those walks, this ideal, okay. Right, because you're walking around. I guess you. What is this sort of villagey area? Where is it? Sort of suburban. Yeah. It's, in, it's in Wiltshire, which is a, a, a beautiful yeah. part of the country. Right. Um, so you knew what you what. It seems like you wanted the thing that's in English being. Right. You've been out into being, yeah. and you'd seen it, and you've gone. That's what well, you felt it. It's not like you thought it as a proposition, but you've you've seen it and, and felt it. That feels right. Right. And there's so many people that know this, right? yeah. and they they get out in or into a wood mm. or into mm. a meadow which, which mm. are rapidly disappearing and it feels right mm. you know you know it's just a beautiful place you mm. feel at home uh, and i'd always felt like that uh, mm. and i'm lucky to live in this part of the country there's so many things we've got stonehenge just down the road one mm. way a3 the other way mm. we've got um you know there's the white horse in westbury um, mm. All of these things, part of the land, mm. not towns and uh, or, or cities, and there's some great ones around, Bath's not far, mm. but the actual parts of the land are, are yeah, it's just a beautiful place. Mm. And what was funny is when, when we decided to do this, or when I decided to do this, I think my wife was just happy at the idea of we could buy a piece of land and we could raise some animals and, you know, yeah. we could get a few and, and that and it would be ours. Do you know what I mean? And <clears throat> that would be nice. Mm. But we drove, we drove every weekend and most evenings um, looking at plots of land. So we, we and I had to be realistic. So I, I was thinking, well, if I'm still going to be working in the same area, because my plan was always to to build a home so i'm thinking well an hour and a half away within that sort of diameter then you know i could always get back to where i need to work mm. but we were just driving out and we were driving over into wales and it, this plot just cropped up out of nowhere mm. and we came and saw it and instantly instantly fell in love with it mm. 
which was weird because it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. I was mm. kind of looking for a, a field that was tucked away, maybe between three or four others. Or, mm. But this woodland came up and we, we visited and we both loved it. Um, and I'd been saving everything I could for just over a year. So mm. we didn't go out to eat. We didn't have a holiday. We didn't go away at weekends. All of that stuff had stopped. We didn't go out to eat. <coughs> everything I earned that didn't get spent on bills went in a bag at the end of my bed. And I was still £5,000 short mm. of the asking price of the land. So I borrowed 5000 and the first year spent paying that back. So paid mm. that back. So we had the lap. And mm. We instantly moved animals on. We moved chickens on first. We mm. built some pens. And Maybe you could, place. the price of it, it's, it's probably good. So yeah, people yeah. just know. I, I, I pay. This, is, this is going back. This is 2014. I bought this yeah. plot and it's two and a half acres, and I paid sixteen thousand pounds for it. Crazy, is it? You know, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just uh, so people know that it's now, it's uh, within range. Yeah, it's yeah. within range, right? It's 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 yeah. shot up over the over the last two years. It, it's mm. it's gone ludicrous because there's so oh, really? many people kind of looking at the same thing. So yeah, right. I mean, at two and a half acres right. now, you could possibly pay thirty thousand. Oh yeah, well that's still re- that's still with that's definitely within easy yeah. simply within range really. I, I think for people, especially if so they I can buy. The yeah, yeah, and we moved some animals on, and and I mm. pretty much straight away got to work building a cabin. Which, as I said, I had no building experience, um, mm. but I I knew some chaps that were builders, so I kind of just I. To be honest, what I did is I watched a YouTube video about how to build a large shed. Mm. And I figured if I upscaled what this chap was doing, I'd end up with a with a timber building, mm. which is what I wanted. Um, so I kind of got the work doing it. I designed how I would put the framework together and then showed it to a mate of mine who was a builder. And I said, if I did this, would it fall down? And he was like, mm. no, it shouldn't do. It should be fine. So I went ahead and built it. And then I clad it, and then I put the roof beams on, and then a roof went on. And relatively quickly, I had a building mm. and got to work making it habitable. Mm. And I didn't borrow anything to do this. I kind of did it with whatever money I had spare. So each week, I would go down and buy a bit of timber or some windows or some roof sheets or whatever it was. Mm. And it was a steep learning curve because mm. I did the plumbing and I ran all the electrics. I got an electrician in at the end to fit the consumer unit and uh, test it all for me. But I did all the donkey work on that. And the same with the plumbing. I had a plumber come and fit the boiler and check it all and sign off on it. But I ran all the pipe work and everything else. And all of that I did literally through watching a video on YouTube. So there's yeah. there's very little you you can't learn. Mm. I mean, if someone's there showing you a tutorial, all you've got to do is follow it. Mm. Um, and I made mistakes. I made mistakes on the build, and it's not until after you've done something and you suddenly think, "Why on earth did I do it that way? I could have done." Mm. It. 
but I quite liked all that. I liked yeah, well, the whole adventure of, uh, yes. of building this place. It was a phenomenal thing. I was about to say that it must be a me- me- that people need to recognize it's not just all this hard work. It's 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 moving towards a possibility. It's a right, and you yeah. you basically went to where I was going to ask anyways. It's meaningful while you're doing it. It's a meaningful work of of opening up a destiny in your life to do something or to go back to where we belong. Yeah, it's. I think all too often in 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 our lives we. Uh, We tend to gain gain sort of fulfillment from things that aren't fulfilling, uh, mm. be it watching a film on telly or you know just these mundane things. Mm. Um, and this was something that I'd never done. Um, I had to learn on the job to do it, so it mm. was um, it was hard work. It was manually hard work. Mm. Uh, I mean. I'm far from a young man, so uh, it was, um, you know, there was a lot of lifting involved and running up ladders and whatnot, and I enjoyed every single minute. Yeah. Really, I really did. Um, And that's the the thing is that it's like what we could say to people is that what do you want to do? Do you want to live through other people watching drama on television, or do you want to live your own life and just see what happens by putting us by... I have the analogy that what I'll often do is I'll put a, a you know those big uh, prison uh, iron balls they put around prisoners' feet. I basically do that metaphorically and then throw it off a cliff and just see what happens and yeah. see what's in your being that, that you'll respond to this right. Commit yourself and you will do it. Um, and but do you want to do that? Put yourself at risk and to actually live a life, or do you want to just sit on your ass watching other people's lives on centralized how it was never supposed to be? Watching them on, on on television live their lives while you're just sitting there as a zombie, right? Or getting or do you yeah. want to get active? Uh, yeah. And this is exactly what we found ourselves doing in that three bed mm. semi, which was literally going nowhere because there was no mm. real destination. Mm. And what I found over the years is, if you actually talk to people, their destination is an annual holiday. That's mm. it. That's the mm. goal. It, it, and it's not even a destination. It's it's a cope. Mm. That two mm, weeks yes. in Marbella mm. it is is the reason they're at work, mm. and they know everything's wrong. They know mm. that this forty hours a week, like from the day you leave school until the day you die, right, mm. is not how we were supposed to live. That's mm. that's mind-numbingly dull. It's mm. there's no achievement there. There's no mm. uh, there's no life there. Mm. Uh, and to deal with that, they have to have something, and the only thing they've got is is two weeks in Spain, mm. and mm. that's sad. That's and mm. I didn't want that. I I didn't want that. I knew there was more. I knew we could live a better life, mm. and and this is it. This is mm. reality. I, I'm mm. in nature. We're much more in tune with the seasons, mm. um, and. There's a payoff because it can mm. be hard work. You've got mm. to learn delayed gratification, yes, which is mm. something most people have forgotten all about. Everything today is instant. It's uh, every instant coffee. It's uh, mm. turn on the mm. telly. It's instantly there. It's mm. I, I need a dopamine fix. So I will. Mm. I, 
check my Twitter gram or whatever it mm. is that people will use it. My Instagram, I'll put a selfie up and get some likes. Mm. <laughs> and it's all fake. It's all fake mm. and it's all false. Mm. Um, see, I understand now that I have to chop a tree down mm. and then cut that tree into rounds mm. and then split those rounds into logs mm. and then store those logs for 12 months. Yeah, and in a year's time, I can burn those logs and I'll keep, mm. and that's delayed gratification. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's uh, I've used the, the same analogy a few times, and it's not mine. There was a, a woman who used to live on Dartmoor in a caravan, mm. old, she was in her 80s, and she was interviewed by the BBC. She had no electricity, um, no running mm. water. Yes. And this BBC reporter was there and she was outside first thing in the morning. She was collecting twigs, sticks mm. to get her fire going. And she asked him if he wanted a cup of coffee and he was like, not Bill. And he was out collecting these sticks and she got the fire going and then put some logs on and then put the kettle on top. And the kettle took mm. 10 minutes to boil and she made him a cup of coffee. And he said, you know, you're in your 80s. And it's just taken you nearly half an hour to make a cup of coffee. Wouldn't you rather just be in a in a little bungalow where you could just turn the kettle on and two minutes later you've got the mm. coffee? And she looked at him and she said, It did take me half an hour to make the coffee. And for you it'd only take three minutes. Mm. But in order for you to be in that house with that electricity you're going to have to work 40 hours a week. Yeah. <laughs> five days a week for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that, that kind of really brings it home to you that, yes, mm. it might take a little bit longer. And yes, there are what some people would view as a downside. Mm. But the plus side is I now live in a four-bedroom home in two acres of land. I've got no mm. rent to pay, no mortgage to pay. Mm. Um, it's a beautiful area, mm. and I have no electricity bills. Mm. I have no water rates, no water mm. bills. Mm. Um, there are expenses. I should think my my monthly expenses, I think we worked them out a lot long back, and they were 50, 60 pounds. What you were saying about the um, the grandmother there is actually, I think, key. When you collect the twigs yourself, when you're in the seasons and in the environment, this, this is connected to Heidegger talks about this. When you use the kettle, it, you're part of its wider machine as standing reserve, right? It's making you part of its standing reserve. But you don't, because you don't control, you don't know, you don't... What she's doing is real in a very real sense. What you're doing isn't real because you're, you don't know what built the technology that you're using. You don't know the techniques behind that. It's mastering you because of that because you don't know where it came from. It's, its whole process and it's, it's, um, what it's related to in its whole being, right, is, can, is goes all the way back to its production process, its ends are well beyond you. Whereas the twigs and you and the forest, its ends, it's all right there with you. It's all, you're interacting with the full process. You know how all of it works. 
right? And that's not trivial. Exactly. It's not just in your head. It's not just a proposition. Right. It's actually, and here's what, what Kipling talks about, is the hours, the days, the seasons shall order your soul aright, right? And maybe you can speak to this, is that when you're actually in it, yeah, go. When, when I first moved here, I had no electricity. Mm. And the reason I did that is because I was very aware that that four-year rule says that once you move in, that's when the box starts. So I moved in as soon as possible. Mm. <clears throat> um, I had one room ready, and I was still working on the rest of the whole cabin, but I had one mm. room which was absolutely fine, and that was cool with me. But no electricity. Um, and it was remarkable. It was absolutely remarkable how how swiftly you become in tune with not just the seasons mm. but with um weather in general and yeah. time time yeah. is completely different um mm. i found myself getting up earlier in the morning yeah. which is when the sun rose and because there was no electricity um i did mm. have lights i had led lantern whatever but there was no telly and no radio and mm. I could read a book for a while, but I found that I was uh, I was ready to go to bed at ten, mm. literally because the day started earlier, and, mm. and you kind of move into this thing, which is if you go back to how our ancestors lived, it was that mm. was it. They would mm. maybe sit around a fire once the sun had gone down, but not into the small hours of the morning. Mm. They would then go to go to bed, um, and I found myself much more in tune with my mm. surroundings and th that was a real eye-opener for me because as much as i've always enjoyed the countryside and love woodland um it's difficult to feel like that when you live encased in concrete and glass mm. you are completely separated from it and yes. with electricity that's on 24 7 and with tv programs that are Mm. on 24 7 and access to phones and everything else it's um and it's quite true that i was just going to say that i had this recently you can probably hear a sort of fuzz in the background right is that i have a uh uh fan here the noise of that the pistons moving in it where we didn't come up and or evolve that's not part of our being right so when you're even in just a normal house, it's got insulation. It's it's keeping out sound. That's not how we where we came from. And you notice this. Everyone can can even do this at home. Is that when you really pay attention, turn off all the things that might make even a tiny sound, and just let the the sound of whatever the movement of the air outside come in. Your being, your brain might filter out this stuff, and you think, oh, it doesn't matter, but it does if you switch it all off and you just let the being of the air movement from outside come in and just sit with it and rest with it. It you're being notices, right? And it, it it's sort of go. Yeah, very few people have time, inclination, or the ability, right, to do something. And I've spoken about this on videos, which is when I'm here, I can just walk outside and do nothing but be. Yes. Just be. Yes. Right. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to think anything. I mm. don't have to. There's nothing. I can just be. Mm. And it is, it is so good. 
to mm. just to be able to just be. And I do it at night time. Sometimes I'll go out, I'll just look at the stars. There's no yes. light pollution here at all. None. Mm. Um, mm. The nearest lights are probably two miles away. So it, 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 I can see the stars. I can hear mm. the wind through the trees. Mm. It's, um, and when you're dwelling with it, when you're actually there, and, and I think everyone can expose themselves to this, when you're so, I think that breakdown of that dopamine loop probably takes some time to get used to. That's probably true. Maybe you can speak a bit to that when you first got there. But breaking down that dopamine loop where oh, you want to be entertained. But once you do, and you can use meditation to help with this, but once you do, is that once you just dwell and be, is that, that whatever you're, the being that you're in that's coming into your being, let's say, that's, I don't know, it's a different kind of... Uh, I know it's dwelling as I said, you're dwelling with your actual ancestral being. When I was no, building no. the place, I used to I used to say to people, it, it's really not conducive to mm. building up here. Because literally I would I would be doing a job and I would sit down for ten minutes. Or, or so I thought. And I'd I, I would do something like watch a bumblebee. And, mm. and I'd watch this bee. I watched one one day. And it was building a nest in the ground at a hole mm. in the it had dug a hole in the ground and it was flying off and it was bringing bits of stuff back and going to this hole. And I was thinking, that's quite amazing. I'd never seen this. And it, it was mm. acting like a bird. So it was collecting things to its nest. It was building something. And I watched it and I, I realized I'd been watching it for 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> one bumblebee. <laughs> Yeah. And it's happened again since. I, I mean, I sat one day, I was watching a nuthatch, which is a tiny, is it, they're about an inch and a half, maybe two inches, a little bird, a bit like a mini woodpecker. So they peck on the tree to get the grubs to come come out, and then they eat them. And I just sat watching this one nuthatch for probably not hours, but for ages. And it mm. went from tree to tree. And But there was there's no rush here. Mm. There is never a rush here, and mm. I feel very relaxed. So, mm. and it didn't that, you know. It, mm. If I didn't get the job done in the next forty-five minutes, there's no one on my back shouting at me. It, it was mm. my home I was building. Take mm. as long as it wants. So it's uh, and it's still like that now. Um, I went. I've got a little part of the woods where I shoot my videos, and I was out there. This is probably about two months ago now, and. I just went to sit down. I've got a little old log burning stove that I actually sit on. And mm. as I was about to sit down, a deer walked between me and mm. the and the and the camera. And it didn't. It wasn't phased. I, we get this quite often here. So I went to take some rubbish out one morning. I opened the front door with a bin bag and stood on my deck. Is, is, is a small deer, and mm. you would think that they would run away, but they mm. don't. Mm. It just stood there looking at me, and I stood there looking back at it. Mm. And you kind of think, you don't get this in a mm. three-bedroom semi. You just mm. don't get this. You don't get these experiences. And I, I know people can go camping, and you know, uh, 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 that's when most people will get it. Mm. And they'll be there, and they'll be around a campfire, and they'll and they'll be in nature. Mm. and they'll feel it. But then they've got to pack up, and yeah. then they've got to put it in the car, and then they go back home, 
And within a day, they're back at work and they're back mm. in that grind. And it's, mm. it's never ending. Um, and I, did, I just didn't want that. Yeah, I think also it's probably important to say as well is that when you're essentially what you're doing is it's a Robin Hood thing in a way. It's it's your own fiefdom. It's sort of and it's interesting that you're in the West Country, right? Because that's where the sort of rural lords were. It's it's a freeholder. It's the rural lords are like that as well. It's it's what you are. You're essentially like a small uh, freeholder or rural lord. It's it's uh, yeah. it's just, that's an ancient ancestral English thing. It's to want to not have the king directly being. That's where all the, the Virginians came yeah, from yeah. Wessex too. The American Virginians who are watching that yeah. the, that you guys have the same values to want to have your own plantation, your own fief, little fief, whatever it is, the freeholder. That's the values of the region. Um, and but also it's a, you know it's a lot of hard work, I imagine. But as much peace is out there, I'm sure you're you're driven to do you were driven to do whatever you do it you were doing. But it's your fiefdom. It's your fiefdom. When you're doing it right, so it's your obsession. It's your right. It's going to be hard work, but it's yours. Yeah, that's exactly that. And most people outsource this. Most mm. people outsource reality to uh, their their job. Um, and that's not really what it's about. I've never mm. thought that. Um, this was a way that I could which is beyond me because, like I said, I've no building experience. I've never done plumbing, never done anything. Mm. But, but I was confident in my ability um, to do this for whatever mm. reason. And mm. be it just strength of will, mm. I, I wanted it and I was going to do it. And it didn't really matter mm. how. Once I'd set my mind to it, it was going to happen. Mm. Um, and it is. It, it's a remarkable feeling to do something for yourself. Mm. and achieve it what i've been trying to do over the last two years is explain to people that firstly if a a numpty like me can do this Mm. then anybody can do it it is possible to do this um and that's 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 been good because i've now been able to help 15 individuals or families do exactly the same thing yeah. over the last two years. I'm also working with groups of people mm. who are doing it as a group. Mm. And the reason that's important is because a lot of people looked at what I'd done and, and they just could never see themselves. They're like, I would never be able to buy that. Mm. And I was like, well, okay, how much do you need? Maybe you could buy half an acre. And they're like, man, I'm working and just to pay my rent. You know, mm. I could probably say thousand pounds in a year and i'm like that's not going to cut it i'm going to be honest with you mm. but if you get 10 of you together mm. and you've now got ten thousand pounds mm. you can buy an acre of land mm. you can buy an acre between the tenants and okay your your homes are going to be a bit closer together but you can build them together you've got a team mm. of people <laughs> and, and maybe something that and that started to take off that started to take off people it's funny how people find additional money or ways of saving money when it really becomes important. That's right. And that's the thing about faith, right? We've lost our God or gods, whatever. I don't know if you're Christian or pagan or whatever, but we've lost our faith. And it's a masculine thing to say, I'll figure this out. Whatever, I'll find a way. You're putting yourself in this uh, situation where you're forced to. 
And think about it, there are plenty of trades that pay well, especially for a younger man. You can go into trades that pay well enough. Just live in a shittier place, right? And have this as your thing you're working towards. This is reachable. It's reachable. And, and if you're doing it, you know. So, but I, I suppose the other thing is, is bringing the other, the significant other along on it. I mean, I know there's people out there would say, oh, that, I was speaking to a person recently. He said, well, my wife doesn't seem with me on this, 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 this wanting to break away from the system. So, so maybe you can talk a bit of that. How did you get her on board? Right. When I was building this, like I said, my wife was happy to have a nice piece of land. Uh, mm. The dogs loved it, so she was happy there. She could have her chickens and, you know, the ducks and the turkeys. And I got involved with that as well. But that really made her happy. Mm. What I was doing down the other end of the woods, banging nails and building this thing, and she was like, yeah. To her, this was a hobby that I had mm. that kept me out of her hair. And she was quite <laughs> happy for that. Yeah. And I was quite happy as well. I had this thing I was doing. And she never thought it would actually, actually come to fruition. Right. Until, and she obviously came down so, and she saw what I was doing at each plot. But, but she, she never, never so actually, just, in her head, mm. saw the finished thing. And never thought right. we'll live there. She thought it was whatever. You'll probably this end can... up using it as a workshop or something. Well, this Until is the I thing. Said, this... Sorry, go, go, go. Until I said to her, mm. you need to pick a kitchen mm. because I want to fit the kitchen. Mm. And that changed everything. Mm. Because then, then she suddenly looked around and thought, well, there's a four-bedroom home there. Yeah, right. And the internals, I left to her. I said, you pick yeah. the kitchen, I'll fit it. And now she's going through magazines, and women love that sort of thing. Why? What mm. sort of kitchen do I want? Mm. And I said, you know, what about the sofas? What sort of, what sort of furnishings would you like? Mm. Now she was really involved. Now she was no. like, oh, I can make this mine as well. Mm. Yeah. Because up until that point, it had been, as much as she was along with the idea, I, and it we've spoken great. about it afterwards, she never thought, and we had a three-bedroom home. Anyway, yeah, but this is important though. She was like, yeah. This is important though, I think, right? For men watching us, is that it's always going to be your your quest first. It's always going to be yeah. you're the leader in this thing, and that even if they say they are, you know, like you said, this is the psychology. It's been revealed, and she admitted it. Is that right? But you're you're man, the one with the vision. You've got to bring it forth. You've yes. got to bring it forth, and then you can show her and say, "Here yes. it is." Yes, and then it changes. Because yes, I think okay. what, actually deep down what happens is that what they're saying to you is, go on then, go on then, prove to me you can do it. It is also a masculine thing, though. Vision it. is a masculine thing, though, right? To have a vision, to set forth, to go for. It's a doing thing. It's, it's, a, it's definitely part of our being to go do that. And women, for women, maybe there's some women that are as much like that, but it's just not something they do. In a relationship, you're the person that has to do that. It's not even... Our sexes are not even. Usually, usually the man that will see further down the road, and usually, always, mm. but usually the woman who will be con more concerned with, yeah, uh, that, that's fine, but what mm. about the, the gas bill that's due next week? Yeah, next yeah. week. is uh, That's as far as I want to go, right? And once mm. that's cleared, what about the kids' school shoes? 
which is mm. the week after. Let's get mm. that done. Whereas the the bloke in a relationship is is tending to look at, yeah, but what about five years? In five years, mm. this is where we mm. want to be, right? Mm. Yeah, but what about this gas? Mm. And that 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 fight, or is it a fight? It's you know, it's a complementary thing because mm. men can tend to overlook the small stuff because mm. they're concentrating on the big mm. goal. And the women tend to understand that sometimes those smaller goals need to be sorted straight away. So it's a complimentary thing. But so, I would say to any ma- any man out there that's kind of thinking along these lines and whose wife or girlfriend or partner isn't 100% on board, it's down to you to bring it forth, mm, mm. prove to them it can be done, to show mm, them. Mm. And then they're on board. And to start, right? Because like you said, she wasn't fully even though she said, okay, it's to you to do it and actually get it moving and then done, not to wait to have permission. Obviously, you probably talk about it and all that, but you don't wait, really wait for permission. You're really saying you're getting her on board, but you've made, this, made the decision, right? What about kids? So you didn't, were your kids moved out at this point or do you have? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got three and mm. my wife had two. So my stepkids, the stepkids were still at home at the time. So I built the place really, for all of us, not knowing if they would come with us Mm. um, or they were at that age, they were kind of going off to uni, but, Mm. you know, were they going to stay? Were they going to come back? So I had to build it big enough. Mm. Um, As it is, neither of them ended up coming with us, which was was fine, but we're now rattling around in a four-bedroom place, which is yeah. which is okay because we've got good, seven dogs and seven cats, and uh, you know they they fill it up quite easily. Um, but yeah, it's and the kids visit and they love it when they come up here. There is this this green law. I someone told me, and this might be wrong, is that maybe that with this forest law, if you're taking care of the forest, that that four years thing doesn't actually apply. That you don't actually have to wait it for it. It does still. Yeah, well, yeah, there's there's several things. The, the, the problem is with planning is mm. planning isn't law. It's just a set of rules. So if planning says you can't do this, like, it doesn't mean it's illegal to do it. It just means if a planning officer finds out, he, he could then serve a notice. And once the notice has been served, it, then it's a legal matter. But until that point, you can do what you want and you haven't broken any law. So that's important to realize. But there are things you can do in a woodland. What you can't do, you see, is change the use of land, which mm. is what that four-year rule allows you to do. Right. So the land now is would no longer be classed as woodland, although mm. it is. It would be classed as residential. Mm. Right which makes it much more valuable. If you yeah, so the whole thing is now residential, is it? Yeah, my two-and-a-half-acre plot it mm. is residential. Wow. Or, or could be if I wanted to sell it that way, which is, yeah, yeah. you know... Um, there are things you can do, though. There's things you can't do in agricultural land. So if you buy a field, which would usually be classed as agricultural land, there's certain buildings you can put up. You can put up a barn. Mm. You don't need planning. You do it on permitted developments where you just inform them that you're going to do it, um, which you can't do on a woodland. Mm. But there's certain things which aren't even mentioned. So that means it's out, 
completely outside jurisdiction. So caravans, for example, are mentioned in agricultural land. So you can't place a caravan on agricultural land without permission. But it's not mentioned. Right. So therefore, it's outside of their remit. Now, what you wouldn't be allowed to do is live in it because that would change the land, the use of the land. Well, mm. would look to residential. Mm. But who's watching? Mm. <laughs> Literally, yeah. who's looking? Um, now, for your, your psychology when you're waiting out these, these four years, how was that for you um, living there? Absolutely. Uh, but, so you uh, thought no one's going to come here? It could just be me. No, I mean, I knew no one. Yeah. I, I was absolutely positive from day one, right, that if I did this, like it would mm. work. Mm. And it wasn't just being positive, mm. uh, like a PMA, like a positive mental mm. attitude, but deep down I was shitting myself, excuse yeah, my friend. Yeah. But no, yeah. um, I knew that it would work. I just knew mm. that it would work. So mm. faith, I didn't yeah. make any, any secret of what I was doing. So anyone that I knew yes. knew yeah. what I was doing. Um mm. Now it couldn't be, it can't be seen from the boundary of, of this wood, so you can't mm. see the cabin. So I was confident, but there's also something to do with the area, mm. which is the people round here mm. don't mind. Mm. In other parts of the country, people are very uh, are different. Um, mm. I, I've known people do this, sort of, and, and people have noticed it, and they hate it. They hate that mm. someone's getting on better than them. Yeah, uh, yeah, they hate that someone's who's that living in that field or living in that woodland? There's someone in, and we better go and phone the council. Around yeah, here, it mm. just it. I mean, we still have poachers and, and, and things like that right. around here. The locals know mm. them. Do you know what I mean? They yeah, you know yeah. oh, if you want if you want a piece of venison, go and see John. He's been poaching for years. I like if that you want a, a couple of yeah. a couple of pheasants, um, go and see Dave. You know he goes shooting over the big estate over the back, and that's very western. That. It's very it's, um, yes, it is. No, rural, I mean, really... Escape from Westminster. It's it's we we have our own yeah. thing here. Don't enforce yeah. your. We're gonna and we're gonna just keep this amongst ourselves. I like that exactly a lot. That. So yeah, you so okay, and and you weren't so your friends knew about it, right? And so I think important too. You mentioned on one of these other podcasts that you did that when the forestry people did actually come past or whatnot. Is that you were very upfront yeah. with everything, right? I think I like that. Well, I was I was up a ladder, and I mean, yeah, that was... that I thought, oh dear, what's going to happen here? But they mm. weren't uh, the council, um, mm. so I was up this ladder, and these two blokes with clipboards in suits came walking up through the woods, and I was like, right, so let's see how this goes. Mm. And I said, can I help? And they were like, well, we're from the Forestry Commission. And what they were actually doing it was when um, Ash Dieback was really bad in this country and they were surveying all the woods around looking for ash die back and particularly looking at rhododendrons and there's mm. a lot here um because th they were concerned that rhododendrons were actually contracting this and then passing it on to tree um so I, I had a long chat with them and I, they said do you mind if we have a look around and i was like no mm. not at all seeing as you're here anyway <laughs> like mm. um and i said have you got a problem with what I'm doing here? Because the mm. cabin was up, but I was just mm. putting some fish and touches to the mm. outside. And the remarkable thing was, they were like, no, not at all. Mm. Mm. 
<clears throat> and I was okay. And they said, look, we visit woodlands all over the UK. Mm. There is rarely we'll go into a privately owned piece of woodland and they haven't got a camera. Mm. Nearly all of them. Mm. And they said, the reason we haven't got an issue with and we did look at this. They said, we looked at this a couple of years ago and said, is this going to be an issue? And what we've discovered is that the woodlands where the people have got cabins and are there regularly, the woodlands are maintained. Mm. They're looked after. People are opening up and they learn about the woodlands because they're there all the time. They learn how to copies. They learn, mm. you know, if they take this tree down, it's going to open up and you'll get more, more growth on the bottom. Mm. And the woodlands are in a much better condition when you have mm. people living there who learn about them, learn mm. how to look after them, learn how to live with them. Mm. And and that, I was like, yeah, I, I can see that. I can see mm. that because <clears throat> when you're here, you, you get to know the trees. Do you know mm. what I mean? And, and mm. I've had to take a few down and I didn't want to. I really mm. didn't want to take them down mm. because I'm here because of them, like be, mm. because because it's such a beautiful place and yeah, it's you you look after it. Mm. It be, you're a guardian for this. Guardian, yes. Yeah, and it's it's my job to make sure that this place is well looked after. It doesn't become massively overgrown, <clears throat> and that I can pass this on. And yeah, the good thing about privately owned woodlands like mine it's, it's only small mm. but it's in a it's in a larger wood of about a hundred acres and it's mm. all privately owned. Mm. um i'm not selling this to a large multinational company ever mm. and nor mm. would anyone else i know that owns any of the woodland amount mm. it's this is something to look after to cherish to make sure it's mm. passed on um in mm. the condition it's in mm. and not to be flattened for a a thousand barrett hunts. Yeah. Maybe you can talk a bit about a day in the life of, even to the minute things of first getting up, the exact things you do, and maybe compare that to your life, what it was like before with your routines. But yeah, but people want to, the day in the life of the, of the woodsman from when he gets up and in, perhaps even yeah, the seasons. I, I, mean, yeah. I, I don't work these woods on a daily basis. I've still got a business and I go and run. Um, mm. But we have got, we've got 100, 120 chickens, mm. uh, five turkeys, 25 ducks, probably 30 quail, um, and seven dogs and the cats. So all of this takes work, um, mm. especially at the moment. The birds had to be locked inside, and we haven't got a barn, so I had to erect four large ollie tunnels inside the pens because they have to be penned otherwise the foxes will get them mm. um th there's a lot that goes that goes into it so yeah i mean you get up in the morning you feed the cats you feed the dogs i then have to go and feed the chickens turkeys the ducks and everything else mm. and this is usually before you get a cup of coffee so either i'll do that or my wife will do that and it depends because she works as well so she's off out the work and I've got a day off. Mm. Uh, I'm lucky enough because I live like this and my uh, income, my outgoings have reduced drastically. I have mm. two or three days off a week, which is nice. Yeah, wow. So mm. it'll be my job to do the, do the things around here 
Um, so, you know, I'll be the one fixing or building a new a, a new shed because we've got more stuff and we've got, we've got to have somewhere to put it or something will have fallen down and I'll have to put it back up or there'll be a poorly chicken and we'll have to get that and bring a cage inside and put that in the spare room so the chickens are walking around the house for two or three weeks, which isn't unusual. Um, mm. It's it's different from your three-bed semi-life that I mm. lived not too long ago um, it's completely different and mm. the way i've always said is it it's much more authentic mm. it's a real life mm. i understand mm. everything i'm doing mm. i understand I, I, i'm completely not what a lot of people think i would be anti-technology but i'm not anti-technology mm. i'm all mm. for using technology mm. to um enable me to live here and live mm. the way I do. So my solar panels, that's technology. Mm. Uh, the battery bank and the inverter charger is, you know, I don't know how it works. It takes sunlight, puts it through a solar panel, which is actually a slab of uh, stone to all mm. intents and purposes. It's silicon. And then it plugs it through some box of witchcraft into batteries mm. and then goes back through to and you know, but if I turn the light switch, the lights come on. That's all I need mm. to know. Mm. So technology's good if it can be used for my benefit and can't be used against me. Yeah. We have yeah. to accept it. We have to use we have to but it has to be segmented off, I think, right? We need to insulate ourselves with, yeah, yeah. with churches, with Neoplatonic practices with, like you were doing, being more self-sufficient, uh, being somewhat uh, off-grid, uh, if possible. So when people do sort of cut off food supply, you've got those things there. You've got the, the chicken. Well, I mean, the, the beauty of it is when you've got a little bit of land, you can do things like grow food. Mm. Mm. And I, I mean, I had this discussion not long ago on a stream where I said, you know, I say that, but actually you don't need that much. I remember my grandparents, my grandparents' back garden, the front gardens were always pristine with flowers, and chrysanthemums, and, you know, and really that was the wife's domain. Mm. The back garden was just an allotment of both mm. of them. It had, you know, potatoes, onions, leeks, runner beans, broad beans, uh, and fruit trees. And the, the back gardens of my grandparents' house fed them. Mm. They didn't go and buy fruit and veg. And then Nan would be in the kitchen pickling stuff so that it lasted, mm. you know, throughout the year. It was mm. it was incredible. And that's gone. Rarely mm. do you see that. Mm. I, I can't think of one person I know who, who grows food in their back garden. It just mm. doesn't happen anymore. So when we got this place, then, yeah, that was, you know, something we did straight away, which was, you know, just put some potatoes in, see what mm. happens. And, you know, the first year they grew, the second year they didn't grow at all, which was weird. Mm. And we had to find places where, because it's in the woods, where the sunlight could get through, because you need sunlight to grow stuff. Mm. It's it's been it's been a fantastic learning curve. It really has, and I, it's. I think that property thief, whatever you want to call it, you could say that that is it's it's your extended being. That's your order. And it must be a very different experience to have this because we're not just our bodies. We are the extended environment outside that is our, like you are your actual house. You are your actual, that's part, that's an extension of you. 
quite literally, right? Yeah. So it must be quite a different existential experience to have that and to know that's ordered over there and that all has potential, right? The crops over there, the potatoes over there, this all has a potential and that must open up for you possibilities just in your actual being though that if something happens yeah, yeah, yeah. it must give you confidence right it must because it, it, it really is it's part it's an overarching thing your your brain whatever it is whatever way you want to think about it recognizes that it's part of your extended cognitive body you could say and it knows it's got potatoes there it knows it's got this here so it must give you a sense of i don't know like power sense of or uh, that you can whatever happens an immense sense of well-being yeah um, yeah and, and um again the word authenticity just comes mm. to mind right mm. instead of me having to work 10 hours to mm. get some money to go to a supermarket to buy those vegetables and those mm. eggs i no longer need to do that mm. i don't need to give my time to someone else mm. for them to give me money that I then mm. give to someone else mm. to get the produce. Mm. Authenticity is saying, I can do this myself. Mm. I can actually do this myself. And it takes less than 10 hours, mm. much less than 10 hours, to push a spud into a bucket of dirt, mm. to throw some corn down for the chickens. Mm. And every day we get eggs. Mm. And, it's, and it's yours. It's your... The whole the process yeah. of it's all yours, right? It's all part of your being. It's not outside of it. It's not something that could just be taken away. And it, you really recognize it when, say, a machine. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but when your car stops working, for instance, right? It, it's this thing that is just almost invisible. We use our cars for whatever, and it just stops working. Or if you've locked your keys in your car, that's another thing. When you've locked your keys in the car, suddenly this potential's gone instantly, and then yeah. and then your whole world changes. And it's the same thing in reverse for if you've got a property, is that it's opening up because you could put, you could plant, like plant that there. You could get chickens, you could get this, or you could do, and you could change how you currently arranged it. You could change that, but that's. Yeah, yeah. But people need to get that that's in your perspectival knowledge, right? It's not just a proposition that goes through your head. It's recognized. Whereas when you're in the system, it's sort of compressed down. You don't have those possibilities. It's a completely different existential experience to have them. And you can get a sense of this when you save money, right? That, that's one way of doing what, like if you have a sense of savings, you, yeah, that yeah. opens up possibility in your being. But this is a very different I'm, sense. I'm really, I'm not big on money. Uh, mm. And it's quite telling that the first step for me was 20 years ago. And mm. the first thing I did was to shut that, that bank account. Mm. Really. And, and the more I read into this and the more I read about how we used to live, and I, I've said this before, if you go back to um, like the Middle Ages, um, everything you read will tell you that the peasants were poor, mm. that the peasants were poor. Well, do you know what? They were financially poor, mm. Mm. but they only worked for five to six months a year. Mm. They had community. Mm. They had family. Mm. They had food because they grew it themselves. Mm. Right? And they didn't have a lot of money, right? But they were rich in every other aspect. Yes. They had, they had their friends around them. They had help. Mm. They had community. Their mm. family. They had the heart. They, yeah. had, they had everything they needed. Yes. 
So to say that they were poor mm. yeah, is concentrating far too much on finance, on money. Yeah. They couldn't buy rich clothes like the like the merchants in mm. London. But do you know what? Mm. I don't think they wanted rich clothes or fine no. tapestries. They were happy with what they had. They had animals. And if they didn't have animals, they grew the vegetables, but their neighbour mm. would have the livestock. Their neighbour would have the vegetables off of them and they would swap them mm. for some meat from him. Mm. This is how we used to live. And they were... Yes, and they're rich. They're rich in soul and being and community, but also they had folk. They had folk. They had the ballads of Robin Hood. The traveling, the traveling bard would come around, but they knew them themselves, right? And I've I've read the oral tradition. I've read it. I've I I know it. It was captured in Virginia, the original oral tradition that the, all the peasants had. So they had a rich culture of their own. Even in those tales of Robin Hood, the hardship doesn't come from the way those people were living. Like, mm. It came from the taxation that was appra- overbearing. Yeah. Yes. If that taxation had been okay. lifted, do you think those people would have been hankering after city life? They mm. were happy in those villages, mm. right? They didn't have to work every day. Right? Mm. They didn't have to work all day. They'd go mm. out, they'd do four, three or four hours work, and that was it. And then they'd retire to fry a Tuck's pub. And yes. the men would do that, and the women would get the meal ready, and mm. then they'd eat their meal. And that's a good life. They wanted to eat England's deer. And it's this false, unkingly, unkingly law, from a, from, not from Richard, unkingly law, loved no man more than they loved the king, but feasted on England itself. That's all they wanted. That's really all it was. It was about where we are, England, right? We're doing this for the king, the overking, which is England itself, is the overking, uh, in the name of the king. Um, of course, the Englishman must be able to eat the deer and hunt it. The idea that it's that that's the tyrannical, false, propositional, merchant, grubby, you know, this grubby merchant class that emerges later. That merchant class is something that took over, as we can see now. They're all grubby merchants. They're not the kingly people. They're not the virtuous people that they're the people that create these laws that um, that stop the, the Englishman feasting off. The, that's all that means. Right. The idea that Robin Hood broke the law to eat the deer it's his right to eat the deer it's his right to have a forest you know to have the forest law right to have sorry to have his the land provide him with sustenance that land itself because he is english right and maybe you've talked a bit about that have you been engaging more with tradition i mean you're in this community now maybe you can talk a bit about too the community you've entered you said there was someone that was this, you must know you've engaged with the community you must see them occasionally you're in the deep in the forest but you must know them right you've entered a community oh, yeah. where you live talk a bit about yeah. that and how they received you how long it took to how often you see them is there a pub close enough that you you go to that sort of thing there is there is yeah and it's quite nice and it's on the edge of a lake mm. um and it's, you know, you can sit outside in the summer and we can mm. walk there from here. There's a lane down the bottom of the woods, which walk, you can walk down to the pub, which is beautiful. Mm. Um, and there's a farm, a, a big farm, not far from here. And they, they, they arable crops and they also run an equestrian center. So there's lots of horses around mm. and they're very well to do. They're, they're um, a, a well-off farming family mm. and they know exactly that what I was doing um, and said right at the very early stages, if you need anything delivered, um, mm. they're not going to get up the bridal way. Um, so have them drop it at our farm. We'll mm. put it in the barn and you can either take it up or we will 
bring it up on the track to bore you. Mm. This is the sort of people that yes. live around here. You know, if they can do me a good turn, they will. But, mm. you know, they had a, a horse jump the fence. Uh, so they phoned me up and said, is there any possibility you can get take your 4 by 4 up and block the other end, other end of the bridle? Way? And I mm. did that. Mm. And so we'll work together around here. Mm. It, it's a it's a country community it's a mm. they're country people they're not surprised that there's people living in these woods and it's not mm. just me now there's other people in this mm. hundred acres mm. um and they're not surprised because this sort of thing has always happened mm. if you go back 50 years there were people doing it and if you go mm. back 100 years there was people doing it foresters that's what they call them they, yes. they had cabins, forests. They lived just, there, took care of the woods. Men of the land, men mm. of the land. Some of them mm. were poachers. Some of them were foresters and worked with the wood, would then mm. take that wood into the village and sell it as mm. firewood. These people have always been around. And mm. because it's not unusual to them, mm. because a lot of these country ways still continue today, mm. I think that's a lot to do with why I had no trouble. No trouble at all. And uh, But also, it's... it's uh, yeah, it, sorry, go. No, no. I was just going to say, it's also tr because you are an Englishman as well. You're not some person turning up building a, some weird utilitarian shack. You know, yeah. you're not building a concrete no, shack no, out no. there. You're building something that fits. No, it fits. It belongs, right? Yeah. You belong and the stuff you're building belongs. And Because people recognize yeah. that. It's really important to don't turn up thinking, oh, I'll build some, I don't know, I think uh, don't need some new technology shack. Because if someone sees that out there, they might go, God, that, you know, it might just set off some no. un-English alarm bells, you know? Yeah. Well, I did fence off the front of mine, uh, which runs along a bridleway. And they did, because it, it was quite a high fence. And they sort of said, you know, that still won't stop the deer. And I, mm. I actually had a word with the big farm and a word with the horse riders that came up and said, look, I hope you don't mind this fence. I know it's a bit odd in the middle of the woods to have a fence, mm. Mm. but I have got seven dogs, and mm. I'm well aware that a lot of the horses that come up and down it are young, uh, inexperienced. Mm. The mm. last thing they need is seven dogs barking at a, 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 a low fence that's going to spook them. So they were all kind of grateful that that was done. Mm. And they all kind of knew what we were doing. So they knew we had, you know, birds. A lot of them, people walking up would come into the land and look at the chickens and turkeys. And, you know, my missus is quite amenable. You take the kids around to collect eggs and that. And it's, it's, it's a fun thing for, 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 for people in the area. Um, and yet not too far from here, mm. there was someone who definitely didn't fit in. Rubbed um, them the wrong way. And erected razor-wired railings mm. he's no longer in the woods right yeah he's gone yeah um because it took about a week before everyone the horse riders the public that walk here the farm down the bottom just said no no, no, no. that's yeah that's not good you have and to recognize it yes even oh, though he, he he owns that land <coughs> he's no longer there because yeah. because he did not fit and he didn't want to and he was making the place not not 
you can't you, you can't have that autism attitude where oh don't tread on me you, you are entering a being which has you are in, it's an organism you are you know unless it's some yeah. bloody so rural i don't know some falkland islands place where no one ever <laughs> visits right yeah. but you are entering a thing and, and well, you know, it's, it's it's, that's good that it's kind of like architecture today. I mean, we've got these beautiful cities that are being destroyed by mm. this modern architecture placed against some some of the most beautiful buildings that, that were ever created. And, and then they'll put this giant glass and steel vibrator next to it. And you wonder why on earth would you do that? Mm. Um, you're not going to beat some mm. of this classical architecture, you're not going to get better. Mm. It. It's not going to be more beautiful. Um, if you want to just play with design work, then go and do it somewhere, like out of the way. Like mm. Design it, let people go and have a look like an art exhibition, and then you can take it down again. Like, yeah. to, to do this stuff and destroy city centres and destroy some of these fantastic towns is, you know, what can you say? Uh, progressiveness is yeah it's a disease necessarily it's a it's a it's well it is like a pestilence it spreads out like uh you see it uh over even buckingham palace you can see so close to it these buildings that are higher than the palace which is just wrong yeah, yeah. Uh, these buildings right it used to be the tallest building and the church was the tallest building and now you see this modernist monstrosity i think it's kind of disgusting and i don't love royals right i like the over king which is this this overarching English, it's in all of us. That's the king, the true king of England, right? Which is, he needs to live up to that being that's in all of us, right? But that king's palace is these palaces. And these, it's actually an insult to England to have these higher modernistic structures around it that are tall there, looking down on it into the windows. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? Even churches. It's just, it's, it's uh, over in um, where St. Paul's is in the city of London. What's this monstrosity next to it? That's disgusting. At least in France and whatever their faults, and it's gross that they don't have a king. That's bad. All that stuff. The Enlightenment, that's terrible. But at least they don't do that. They don't put big buildings around their heritage things. It's gross. Disgusting. The church well, should be. I mean, in the capital, uh, the, the capital, the capital town, what well, I can't remember what they call it, the, the main town in Wiltshire. Mm. Um, has a huge St. James's Church, huge steeple, mm. was the highest thing in that town for, for years and years and years. And then they they redid the town centre. And this is, this, I'm going back about 25, 30 years ago. And the top of the shopping arcade had this logo on it mm. that was higher than the steeple. That's wrong. The church. And I kind of thought, wow, it's, it's taken the place. And in a way, that's where people went on Sunday. Mm. They didn't go to the church. They were going to this consumerist glass and steel nightmare instead. Mm. So their affiliation had switched. Which is which is a you know a real shame. I mean, mm. I'm not a not a big churchgoer myself, but the swing mm. from from one to the other, from the traditional to mm. the modern, 
um, from the conservative to the progressive mm. was something I've never been comfortable with. And it's your unconscious notices those things. You think, oh, it's just a building. No, it's not just a building. Your being recognizes it. Because if you know it, it's in your being. When you've mapped something, it's in. It's, it, that's why you really do enter a community. It's an organism. Uh, and capitals, they are a wider extension of us. And when that's suddenly high, oh, it's just a building. It's just, ah, oh, let them do. No, no. That does affect the psychology. You just don't know the effects it has, right? There's a reason why they used to put so much effort into trying to bring that neo-Gothic architecture in. It, whether they failed, you could say they failed, but they did design a lot of buildings that had, at least they weren't hell holes, and they did look neo-Gothic. Um, I think that sort of, we'll never have that again, but at least they, the, the Victorians managed to do that, even though they realized, yeah. they realized industrialization was doing it. Again, not successful. You could say that w- whether that healed the being of the people still having to go into the workhouses or not still a valiant effort to to try bring yeah. a traditional being to whatever the workplaces were I mean we should at least try to do it I don't get why we do it I guess it's just utilitarianism it's just cheaper that's why they do it yeah you know but it is soul destroying yeah places are are, are just awful uh, they, they must be awful to work in fluorescent lights glass mm. and steel uh yeah, it, it, it must be a personal thing as well, because I understand that there are people that are drawn to that. Um, but it's not it's not me. Um, and I think there's more people now that are, that are actually pulling away from it, which is good to see, which is nice. Yes. More people coming up as I think they overreached. They overreached with covid yeah. and people are going, there's something's wrong. And then they're coming and see, yeah. seeing people like you and seeing this project and older projects like Tom's, all these other people and realizing, oh, my God, and they're, they're at least waking up. So whatever happens, there's going to be a lot yeah. of people on our side who are awake to this stuff. Even if we don't win, you can go down valiantly with a lot of brothers on your side. Right. Which is yeah, yeah. that's uh, all you can really ask for. I think what you'll find, I, I honestly think, this, um, and I wasn't sure a year ago. But I am now. I'm positive that you're going to see a, a parallel system, mm. a parallel society emerging. Mm. There's too many people that don't want to be a part of what they've got planned. Mm. They don't want to be a part of what they've already done. Mm. And what's coming is going to be worse. That technocratic, yes. anti-human, it is just not for so many people that there's going to be another system. That, and I think they will, they will just be left alone. Mm. They will be left to their own devices, which actually suits me fine, because I'm, yeah. I'm fairly sure we will just forge a different way that is mm. probably more to our liking. Mm. Um, similar to what I've done here, right? this is not how most people live. Um, it's a different way of living, mm. but it's much better for me. Mm. And I think you'll see that on a much larger scale. Um, not necessarily just people going off grid, but building separate systems that work mm. for us. Yeah, and I can see it happening already. And what what would you what would you say to people that are sort of on the edge with this stuff? What, you know, that might just push them to you know 
perhaps you could talk about a bit where you were when you were just making the decision to help them have the courage to to do yeah, what I, you did. I mean, it's it's difficult because once I've made the decision, I just went, I just I just mm. did it. I just mm. went forward with it. But that I mean, I've got a chat group on Telegram. People can join that mm. um, and ask as many questions as they want. It's not mm. just me in there that has done this. There's other people that live around the country that are doing it mm. in slightly different ways. Mm. There's people that have. Uh, bought small holdings there's people that live in caravans there's people mm. that live in vans there's people there's all these different types of people and they're all there to help mm. so when people come in and say you know i'm kind of thinking about how could i do it the, the answers are there the mm. answers are there right and this year we're planning on putting together not a group but just a page where all information can be done so information on planning information mm. on different types of land information on what you can do and what you can't do or how yeah. you can do it so that when any of us make a video if we're talking about something we can direct them to that one page and say listen everything's categorized you can have a look on there and then if you need to contact us you can do it personally you can just send us a dm but all the information's on that page. that's great so well there'll we're be like ho we're hoping that that will uh that's going to help a lot more people well, yeah, I think what we need now is more clubs, right? So I do think more of that, but also perhaps meeting in person, people like that sort of thing. We need unions, we need clubs, we need like that's what we used to do, right? We need community. It's not just well, this, this is this is happening already. There's there, there's mm. quite a few politically minded groups, um, mm. but what I've seen growing over the last years is, which is why I'm saying this will definitely go into a parallel society. There's now groups starting up which are just social. Mm, yes. They understand the politics side, but they don't really want to go out and talk politics. What they yeah, want to do is all go the time. Yeah. Mm. What they want to do is take their wife and go out for a meal with maybe mm. four or five other couples who are like-minded, mm. so that you're with like-minded people, so you can relax and you can talk yeah. freely without mm. being on edge. So these yes. social groups are, are actually starting. There's mm. 30, 40 members. That will mm. get bigger. And then that will subdivide again, though. That will go down mm. to actually three groups of 10. Mm. Can you see what I'm saying? It will be regional. Yeah. There's book clubs starting where mm. people are getting together and discussing books and ideas. Mm. And that's good. There's right. There's people pushing culture outside yes. of the system. Music. Mm. Yeah. Literature. Yeah. Mu um, you know, all of these different things. Artists mm. who are who are our side of the fence, yeah. who are doing stuff outside of the system. Yeah. Private publishing companies, publishing mm. fantasy novels and history yeah. novels. And this is not in the system. This is a yeah. parallel society starting yeah. now. So within five years, I think the only thing that's missing at the moment, there's not enough people that are, are willing to register their own businesses because... People yeah. are still a bit edgy about, well, am I going to get labelled as something? Or, you know, is this dodgy? And it really isn't. But once we get more people registering businesses and saying, listen, I, I, I don't want anything to do with that system. I'm a plumber. Mm. If you want to mm. use me, more people will use it. Yeah. 
And there are, in America, they're trying, they're doing the same thing. There's, I think, Matt Peterson, I had him on, talked about the parallel economy and having a, it was sort of a network he built um, that they, you know, it's a web thing, but people would register themselves with it. Um, I think that's private and they connect people privately, right? So it's not publicly listed. I think that's how he did it. But yeah, as we go on, it is about monetizing all of those things too. It just takes time. It takes time for yeah. right to be able to monetize a novel on uh, on our side of things. It takes time yeah, to be yeah. able to have a structure where people can be um, rewarded for that. But that will happen. It does. I have a lot of faith in it, man. That that have a lot of faith that um, this is going to solve we're, at least a lot of problems for us. We're at the stage. We're yeah. at the birth stage. We're not even an infant yet. Mm. Um, never mind crawling, walking, or running. Mm. Um, but that stage will come. What mm. we're seeing now is the birth of a parallel system, which mm. doesn't want anything to do with the one that's in place or coming, mm. that we will forge our own. Mm. And it's just so good to see that all of these different aspects are already in place. So there's social groups, there's political mm. groups, there's mm. cultural groups, all tying together. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean it's exciting times. Yeah, um, and we just got to keep keep pushing forward. Exactly, keep pushing forward, and uh, that's probably a really good place to end it. Um, it's been a great pleasure, man. The time flew by, um, and you know I, I hope really you come on again. It, Scott. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'd like, I really want to enjoy see... it, Scott. Thank you. <laughs>